Hello, and welcome to The Plants We Eat, an investigation of the history, biology, and culture of the plants that we use for food. I'm Jeff Gilman, director of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, plant history buff. I'm Cindy Proctor, instructor at Central Piedmont Community College, and I enjoy helping folks with all their gardening needs. Then off we go. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to talk about uh, a plant that is near and dear to me because of its history. It's not near and dear to me because of the way it tastes, because I haven't had one of these in actually, I think, 42 years. I understand you're allergic to I'm pretty allergic to these. That's sad. It is. Because you're Uh, missing out. This is a strawberry. Yes. And uh, the strawberry has just some absolutely incredible history. Uh, It's been with us for a long, long time. People have been eating strawberries for millennia thousands of years, but they haven't been eating the strawberries that we eat today. We're actually eating this really neat hybrid of a, of a couple of different species. So let's get into it. The strawberry, first of all, is not a berry at all, not even, not even a little bit. <laughs> the, strawberries, the strawberries that we eat, when you eat them, you'll notice that the seeds are on the outside. Mm-hmm. So the strawberry is actually what's known as a receptacle. And what's a receptacle? You know how you've got petals and sepals and all these, uh, you know, male parts of the flower, female parts of the flower. If you look at a flower, they all connect at one point. That's called the receptacle. Normally, the receptacle is this tiny little piece of the flower, no big deal. It's just the part where everything's connected. Well, in the strawberry, this is actually the part that becomes the fruit. It actually swells up and gets a flavor and gets taste, uh, which you know, I wouldn't know about because I'm allergic to it, but, <laughs> but it does. And then you'll notice the seeds are on the outside. The seeds are on the outside because you know the reproductive structures aren't even a part of that fleshy fruit. The, the seeds are separate from it and just located on the outside. So that is really neat in and of itself. In terms of common fruits that we eat, this is the only one that, that has this kind of a structure. So that is pretty cool in and of itself. Now, there are over 20 species of strawberries and many, many hybrids. Strawberries just mix together very, very easily. Um, Really interesting genetics. It's frequently crossed. But the strawberries that we eat today have only been developed in the um, the last 300 years or so. You see... The strawberries that people have been used to eating for, for years and years were really, um, it came from their region. There are uh, groups in Europe, South America, and North America that eat different strawberries. Um, in South America, it's the beach strawberry in Europe. There's a musky strawberry and a, a wood strawberry. Uh, in North America, there's a, uh, there's a completely different strawberry um, Virginia strawberry that that people are that people uh, can eat. In fact, that's what you usually see out in your out in your yard is a weed is the Virginia strawberry. And by the way, it is it's fine to eat. Well, except for me, once again, I'm just going to complain through this whole show <laughs> about the fact that I can't that I can't eat strawberries. Um, but let me tell you about what happened to uh, to give us our, our modern strawberry. And I'm going to start by telling you that the Virginia strawberry. Uh, you know, from the from North America was introduced to Europe sometime in the 1600s. We'll come back to that. But of course, when when we had explorers uh, from Europe over here in the United States and the rest of North America, they were getting all kinds of plants and taking them over. And that, of course, included the Virginia strawberry. But the occurrence that really shaped the modern strawberry that really happened in 1714, and that started with this uh, really interesting guy um, named. 
uh, Lieutenant Colonel Amade Francois Frazier. And I'm sure I butchered his name, but he was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Frazier was a member of the uh, French Army Intelligence Corps and an engineer by training. Prior to Prior to what I'm about to tell you, he's, he actually had a very noteworthy accomplishment in that he wrote a treatise on fireworks. Fireworks being, you know, the stuff that light up the night sky. <laughs> so you'd think that was the furthest thing from, from botany and strawberries, but the truth is that scientists of this time were often scientists across a broad range of areas rather than just being, you know, just a botanist or just a fireworks expert in, in, <laughs> Frazier's, in Frazier's case. Well, in 1714, Frazier undertook a, a very significant trip, and this trip was to uh, Ch- uh, Chile, and he went to Chile for a very specific reason. He was, uh, he was off to uh, discover uh, information about the Spanish fortifications of Chile. Now, he was, he was, he, he was acting as a spy. Now, let's not sugarcoat this. He was a spy, and his cover was as a merchant captain, uh, to, and he was working to find fortifications. He was looking for fortification placement, armaments, and other information that a spy typically collects. He also, uh, when he later wrote his reports, he included a great deal of information about the geography of the reason, uh, including the presence of gold and silver mines. Uh, he also was looking for and described people that were native to the region, and even animals and plants. So this was a very thorough guy. Uh, He was looking for a lot of information about the region, and he provided a lot of information in the region. Now, one of the plants that he notes in his writing is a strawberry, but it's a different type of strawberry. You see, so I I mentioned earlier that uh, we had these strawberries in Europe, and we had these strawberries in North America, and we did. But these strawberries were little, and they were kind of tiny, and apparently uh, they taste good, apparently. I'm allergic. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, yeah, no, I'm I'm just going to go back to that. (laughs) Apparently, they taste good, but they're tiny. While while he was in, uh, while Frazier was in Chile, he discovered this strawberry that was, like, really big. It was a major strawberry. (laughs) It was was called the, the beach strawberry. And he, uh, he stole this strawberry. He took, uh, he took a number of plants. I've, seen, I've actually seen conflicting reports. Could have been five or six. He took them back to France with him. And he planted these plants out. And, um, yeah, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. And uh, nobody knew exactly why. He described these plants, and infrequently they would develop these large strawberries. But um, it, it certainly they didn't produce enough strawberries for this to be economically um, worthwhile. Uh, one of the important things I should mention about Frazier bringing these uh, strawberries back to uh, France is that Frazier... Uh, Frazier's name is actually interesting unto itself, and anybody who knows French and is listening to this might recognize how interesting this is, because um, Frazier's name is actually the French word for strawberry. And this is interesting, because 
His uh, ancestor, Julius de Berry, also interesting, the whole de Berry thing, um, was knighted by King Charles Simplex in 1916 for providing an amazing dish of ripe strawberries for the king and his guest, who is an Italian cardinal. The cardinal was uh, extremely interested in these strawberries that Julius de, Ver de Berry provided, which was politically very important to the king. So the king actually changed de Berry's surname to Frigier, knighted him, and the coat of arms that he gave him was three stalk strawberries. So you can understand why Frigier was so interested to discover these big strawberries. So anyway, back to 1714, he got these big strawberries, he brought them back to France, whoopee, nothing's really happening, because although we have enough strawberries to know these strawberries are big, they're just not economically useful. So what happens then? Well, enter Antoine Nicolas Duchesne. This guy is important. This guy is very important. If, you, uh, if you're into botany and if you're a breeder today, you probably know this guy because he's like the strawberry breeder, the greatest strawberry breeder of all time. In 1764, he figured out why these uh, beach strawberries, these Chilean strawberries, weren't producing. And uh, the answer is very, very interesting. You see, most flowers that you see on trees are perfect flowers. What does perfect flowers mean? It means that you've got both male and female parts on the same flower. That's just the way that flowers usually work. But that wasn't the case with strawberries, you see. Strawberries have separate male and female plants, or at least the beech strawberry has separate male and female plants. So, uh, you know, Frigier brought these amazing strawberries back to France, but all of these strawberries were females. And since all of these strawberries were females... No strawberries. No strawberries, <laughs> exactly. So Duchesne figured this out. And, you know, when he figured this out, what he did was he took the native European strawberries, one of the types of native European strawberries, the musky strawberry, and he crossed these musky strawberries with Chilean strawberries. And like magic, he had these strawberries to give to uh, King Louis XV and actually made himself quite famous for this, which is rather remarkable, especially considering that he did this when he was 17 years old. Wow. And he just kept working on the strawberry pretty much for the rest of his life. And this was extremely important. Uh, by the way, I, I mentioned that you know, this was the musky strawberry crossed with the beech strawberry is what he was what he presented. But the gar the common garden strawberry, the strawberries that we eat today, that's actually a cross of the Virginia strawberry and the Chilean strawberry. So that's what that's mostly what we what we're eating today, and that's what you're planting in your garden. And when you cross the Virginia strawberry with the beech strawberry and get this garden strawberry, that actually is perfect flowered. Mm -hmm. So that does have both male and female parts on the same part. I mean, this is a, uh, I just think that this is the most amazing story because you've got this, uh, this spy capturing this strawberry <laughs> and bringing it back to Europe. His and side then, job. Exactly. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you've got this garden strawberry that everybody can eat. But strawberries are... Um, just a fascinating crop to grow. They're, 
They're tough to grow depending on where in the United States you live, uh, in large part because of the number of pests that they get. Yes. Um, and at the same time, the Virginia strawberry, the one we commonly see growing in our yards as a weed, I mean, it it is considered a weed in, in a lot of situations. So can you eat the weed? You can eat the weed. I was the told strawberry. as a child it was poisonous. It's it's not. Um, and I've avoided to you know, me you, to me it totally is. <laughs> I'm not adventurous that way anyway, and so I. Yeah. But so I think uh, I'm afraid something's going to be wrong with it. So I was told as a child. Well, you know, I think with any of these things, um, I, I I'm not recommending you go out and eat something <laughs> from your garden because most people really can't can't tell the difference between this and there are certain other yes that's true plants that have small red berries in your yard. <laughs> so unless you really know what you're doing. Please do not go out and try this. We are not encouraging the sampling of any wild fruits simply because there is a there's a reasonable likelihood that you're going to mix up one sure. thing for another and really hurt yourself. There's some really toxic things out there, actually. So be careful. <laughs> be careful. But you know, when I uh, think of strawberries, I think of you know summer. I mean, and and my favorite when you asked me if we want, if you want to talk about strawberries, immediately came to mind was chocolate covered strawberries. Mm -hmm. Those are those, those are wonderful. And we'll be covering chocolate in a later episode. I know, I know. <laughs> so we, maybe we can talk about strawberries again. <laughs> no, but uh, strawberry shortcake. You know, mm. that's why I think of summer. And uh, strawberries are uh, grown uh, in North Carolina as well as California and Florida. Mm -hmm. In fact, I ate, I think I ate almost a quart yesterday and they <laughs> were from California and they were really big. But it's not as hard as you think to grow strawberries. You just have to know a few things. Mm -hmm. So the know the type that you want to grow and they've, they've categorized them into three areas, into June bearing, ever bearing, and day neutral. And what that means is strawberry plants respond to the length of day and the heat. So the, so the plants will produce more runners when the days are long and warm. And then um, the flowers, uh, are the buds, I should say, are set when the summer, or excuse me, the fall begins. So that's that. There, so that's what they're. That's what the names are about, or the categories are about. Now, which one should you grow depends on what part of the country you're in. So in North Carolina, we because it's such a diverse state uh, culturally, you know, mm -hmm. in temperatures because we have mountains, coastal, and Piedmont. Uh, we um, can grow June-bearing ones, even though they give us May <laughs> mm -hmm. crop. Now, the June bearing is more for the southern states, and if you're a Midwestern or northern state, you should stay with the day neutral and uh, the ever bearing. Have you ever, did you ever grow stra strawberries in Michigan? Uh, Minnesota. It's Minnesota. <laughs> That's okay. One of those M I did, states. I did, I did not grow uh, strawberries in Minnesota, but you know something? My, my parents always kept actually about a quarter acre or so of strawberries in Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, those would be grown perennially. And that's always one of the things I've been fascinated by, that up north, they're typically grown more as a perennial crop, and in the south, they're grown more as an annual crop. Well, the reason being is because of the disease and insect you were talking right. about. And, and um, so back to that, so the, the, the um, perennially as a perennial, mm -hmm. um, the, they do very well. And the day neutral and the ever bearing kind, again, are the ones that are mostly grown um, up north. And those uh, varieties, oh gosh, can be, let's see, I have those written down. So those varieties like Seascape 
is a day neutral one and it's grown mostly in California. And those mm. are the ones that give us those huge fruits that we see at the grocery store. And then um, Tribute and TriStar are the are the day neutral that are grown mostly in the north. Now, if you're in the south or southern part of the country, you're going to do Tribute, All Star, Tennessee Beauty, depending on which region you are um, mm-hmm. and, or and state. So, but basically, it I, before before you choose again, not only where the part of the country you live is how you're going to grow them. Are you going to grow them in a container, or are you going to devote land? you know, to, for, for them. So the container is kind of fun. If you have kids or you have time on a porch, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to maybe watch some of the activity that goes on, a container would be fun. And they, they if you look online, they'll even show you um, how to do PVC constructions that eventually will be hidden by the runners because uh, strawberry plants produce these great runners. Mm-hmm. And although they need good soil, the, the urban soil component that most of us have right. can be tolerated because the main plant needs good soil, but the runners are growing on the surface. So what you're saying is that for those of us who have really terrible lawns or you know, terrible backyards because the topsoil has been scraped off, this plant is at least a possibility. It could be a possibility. I don't want to call it urban soil proof or poor soil proof, <laughs> right. you know, kind of thing, but it's it's not like growing some of the other foods that, that we eat, right. you know. Uh, but, Which require really good yes. soil. So, um, it, so well-drained soil, of course, is always the issue. Mm. So back to the container. So you're going to see marketed at garden centers, um, uh, strawberries that grow all summer long. And those are probably the ever-bearing ones that that really produce a crop in the spring and in the fall with some surprises in the summer. Now, those are something you would want in a container because you're going to devote a container to something that gives you some fruit all year or all season long. But, but um, they don't do well in the South, you mm-hmm. know, so that's the hiccup. Now, um, so if you're in the South, you should probably devote some land or devote a container to only give you one crop. See the, see the, the toy here mm-hmm. that we need to deal with. So if you have some land, build up your soil just a little bit, at least where your crown is going to go. And digging it too deep is going to promote disease and insect like right. rot, right. you know, and all kinds of other little things that we don't want to deal with. But... After that, you should be able to uh, plant your plants in the spring, watch the runners do mm-hmm. their thing uh, in the summertime, pinch off any flowers that, that, that are growing because you want to devote energy into the plant. And then next spring, in about four to five weeks after flowering, you should have strawberries. So if you can w- be a little patient, you should have strawberries even in the smallest of yards um, up to gosh if you have as much as your parents did but you know have you ever have you ever picked strawberries i mean can you pick them yeah you just can't eat them i don't i don't do it a lot you know i use that as an excuse not to have to pick them but uh (laughs) but i have certainly picked them so but picking them is is amazing you know pick well maybe amazing. my kids my kids do it every year and although i don't do the picking i love to go out to the uh i love to go out to the pick your own place and watch them sure You know, I owe a lot to strawberries because uh, I worked with the leading professor, the re- researcher mm-hmm. uh, in the country on uh, str- on crossing. Almost Duchesne level? 
Uh, <laughs> I would say so. I would, okay. Dr. Ballantyne okay. was, uh, yeah. was devoted to he's, berry production. He's known. I mean, yes. he, he's, a, he's a well-known and guy. so I worked for him one summer. And that was when I realized that people actually go to school to uh, grow better food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very and not just better flowers but better food and right which is a very important thing it I was mean, it was very important so i had a, a big a big respect for all of it's that people it's people like that who allow us to do something like this that's that's right now uh i will uh i want to go back you know some plants not very many that, that need strawberries need full sun but they need cool roots and so the cool root part is uh is overcome if you let the runners grow over the soil and that would really help with the heat load of your really? of your soil yeah okay. that's yeah. fascinating i had no idea yes yeah, so that that is helpful for them but you know what instead of devoting all of this space and land i like to incorporate some of the food that we eat into our ornamental even shrub mm-hmm. beds what's wrong with that you know i could actually see the strawberry kind of cascading out mm-hmm. of a canta- container on a porch and even if you're not eating the strawberries i could see that being very attractive it is very attractive it is you know you keep talking about the runners this 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 gives me uh, one final very short story that i'd like to mention there's uh, some conjecture as to why the uh, strawberry is named the strawberry the first the first reason and the, probably the most likely is that um, runners straw, that's a term that's used, runners straw away from the parent plant, and so that's one reason this may be called strawberry. Second reason why the strawberry might have its name is because it ripened when hay uh, was mown. So, you know, straw, hay, essentially the same thing. And the final reason, and the reason that I like the best, and the one that I like to kind of trick myself into thinking is the real one, although it's (laughs) unlikely, because kids used to string strawberries on a piece of straw to sell. And if you've never heard that, and I hadn't heard it until I read it, you know, do a quick Google search on strawberries and straw, and you'll actually see um, a picture from uh, actually uh, the UK showing kids holding strawberries on a straw to uh, to sell at a market. So really neat. Well, there's... I'm amazed, honestly, on how much history there is on yeah. on the foods we eat. And I guess that's why we're here. That's exactly that's why, why we're here. here. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Alex Frizzell with the UNC Charlotte Isle Group, who does our sound. Thank you to Alex Chapin with uh, CLASIT. And thank you, of course, to the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens and UNC Charlotte for producing this podcast. Look forward to talking to you next week about the plants we eat.